0: Welcome, one and all, to episode 323 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Motskin number of the SLS Cast. Because it turns out that in mathematics, mathematics, there's a number that is the different ways of drawing non-intersecting chords between endpoints on a circle. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. It is a Motskin number, and 323. Is one of them. Yes, and with that wonderful little bit of weird mathematics knowledge, I of course am Matt, and coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our residence-only employee.
1: Tim! You know what they say: when it's time, it's Motskin time. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> uh,
0: so, another week, another time,
1: another technical failure for moi.
0: Sadly, that's just how we go but that's okay because we shall press on right we're going to press on
1: we are role models for today's youth uh you have 3 youths living with you so we should not dwell on the fact that i have so many issues in the technological realm
0: that's right we'll, we'll do it for the youths uh I, i'm so i'm sorry i so said did you did you just say youths yeah the two youths anyway How about we do some news? What do you say? You want to just jump right in? (laughs) Yeah. Here we go, folks. It's the news. First up from me, from CBR.com by way of Nicole Sabone. Report. Brian Singer dropped from Red Sonya reboot. That's right. And this dropped on the 13th of March. Millennium Films may have its Red Sonya film on hold for the time being. However, it appears the studio has finally dropped controversial director Brian Singer from the project the report comes courtesy of the hollywood reporter as part of its coverage of the scandal involving warner brothers ceo kevin suchihara in its report the outlet cites a text from brett ratner who was accused of inappropriate conduct last year as he advised a young british actress to bother uh avi lerner the 70 year old 71 year old founder and ceo of millennium films in order to get roles uh, while worth a read to truly comprehend why it's such a massive scandal, one of the biggest reveals came when the outlet stated Singer was reportedly off Millennium Films Red Sonya film following massive backlash. All right. I'm going to stop there. That's about the first third of that article. Tim, are you surprised that the, uh, that, that the, I guess, shunning of Brian Singer is happening? Uh, still, or shall we say, in such vigorous notions. I don't know. There's been a lot of rumors flying around about him for many years now. And I, I don't personally know if they are true. I just know that there's been a lot of talk about him over the last years. And now some more stuff came to light. He was obviously... Distanced, shall we say, from the Oscars, uh, when you know, over Bohemian Rhapsody, now he's off Red Sonya. What, what are you thinking, sir?
1: Well, I don't know the guy, and I really don't know what to say or what how to comment on these sort of things because I gave Michael Jackson the benefit of the doubt for a while, and I don't, I mean, it, you just, I just don't know. It, it's, it's difficult to know who to trust until a documentary series comes out about them. <laughs> you know, with some pretty solid evidence backing certain claims. I am not a Brian Singer fan as a person. I'm not a Brian Singer fan. I hear he's kind of an asshole to work with. So I think, regardless if he did something bad or not, Him maybe not making another movie might be a good thing for everybody uh, alive and and breathing. Because (laughs) at this point, I don't think anybody wants to see him do another X-Men movie. So that's really his pride and joy right there. I think he should just move along. Again, I don't know the guy personally, but I've heard many of stories And whatnot. He's the guy that did the dickhead thing when he was putting Superman Returns (laughs) together, where he would win every single studio battle or every single argument he had with the studio by holding up that picture of Nicolas Cage. That super popular picture of Nicolas Cage in the super the Tim Burton Superman outfit and saying you guys were gonna green greenlight this, you're you were gonna allow this to happen, and you're not gonna allow me to have. Brandon Roth wear underwear over his Superman costume, just like Christopher Reeves did. Oh yes, Mr. Singer. Oh yes, you're correct. You're right, you're right. I don't know what what we were thinking. You know, obviously after watching the death of Superman Lives, it's just an over-exaggeration. You know, it's completely out of context. And I know this is kind of an around-the-bouts way of proving the point that I don't care for the guy, whatever. I mean, what do you think? Do you want to see him come back, make a resurgence doing Red Sonia or whatever the hell movie it was? I don't like
0: him as a director, period. I haven't liked him as a director for quite some time.
1: Oh, wait. Is Red so- Sonia the Conan chick?
0: Yeah, it's like that Conan spinoff. Yeah. Okay. Conan spinoff chick, yeah. So, to be clear, I have not liked him in a long time. You- you'll remember I've been rallying against Days of Future Past for how many years now? So... Uh, Yeah, there's no love lost for me in terms of directing. I will say that, um, I, I think, I think now more than ever, it is more important to be mindful of innocent until proven guilty. And that is how I will leave it at that in the man's personal life. He might be an asshole and he might be an undeserved asshole or he might be, you know, a dick just because he's a dick. I don't know. Um, but this is serious shit, and it can ruin your life. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. this kind of stuff can ruin your life and so it's just one of those things where I really hope that we can remember innocent until proven guilty, and if he is proven guilty, then hey, throw him up, you know, lock him up, throw away the key, and that's where i that's where I'm at on it okay. Uh, last but not least from me, really, really quickly here from IndieWire.com by way of Zach Scharf. This dropped on the 12th of March. Annapurna lost at least 8 million on Beale Street. Vice was a 15 million dollar bomb. That's right. Only sorry to bother you reportedly turned a profit for Annapurna in 2018. Is right. You heard right, folks. Annapurna won two Oscars this year, but a new report from Variety makes it clear what a tough holiday season it really was for the financially burdened company. The studio released three movies on Christmas Day: Barry Jenkins' if Beale Street could talk, Karen Kusama's Destroyer, and Adam McKay's Vice, and none of them turned a profit at the box office. In fact, insiders tell Variety that Vice was at least a fifteen million dollar bomb for Annapurna. Some sources say the loss was closer to twenty million. Beale Street, meanwhile, lost eight to ten million for the company, while Destroyer was a seven dollar seven million dollar misfire uh let's see here annapurna and annapurna has struggled financially ever since it launched its own distribution arm with the debut of katherine bigelow's detroit in summer 2017 since then variety reports only the release of boots riley's sorry to bother you has turned a small profit for annapurna the studio opened jacques Audiard's the sisters brothers in theaters last september but it hardly made it past uh, one million at the box office Despite a $38 million budget. One reason Vice lost so much for Annapurna is that it cost $65 million to make. I want to stop there. Uh, and that's, I kind of skipped around in the article. That's probably about 30 to 40% of that article. There's definitely more you can read there. I'd, ch- I'd encourage you to go over to Indiewire.com and check it out. Again, Zach Scharf. Annapurna lost at least 8 million on Beale Street. Vice was a $15 million bomb. Tim, are you surprised that these that these Oscar push movies like this are generally, which generally don't make a lot of money, are are not making money. Moreover, I'm I'm kind of finding it hard to feel bad for a company that competes against itself at Christmas.
1: Right. Well, Vice is a very divisive movie. You're not going to have many Republicans going to see that flick. Unlike Adam McKay's previous film. The Big Short, anybody from either side of the aisle, you know, would go and see that movie. Check the movie out. So that makes sense to me. I'm surprised Vice did as well as it did. And with If Beale Street Could Talk, more people should have gone and see that movie. I don't really think the marketing was handled all that well. With uh, If Beale Street Could Talk. However, the movie is a co-production with Plan B Entertainment and Pastel Productions. So that could not have been all of Annapurna's money that got, you know, that got lost. Lost. Yeah. Sure. You can't, especially, again, with with Vice, you cannot have a politically divisive movie and expect it to make a shit ton of money, you know? So they could have... Easily kept that film on the back burner until it got the Oscar train rolling. Maybe do another re release, but they could have focused more on if Beale Street could talk. Because to me, that could have been a lovely, lovely, lovely holiday movie. Not necessarily it's a holiday movie, but you know, like I think it could have attracted more people during a holiday break.
0: Right. No, that makes sense. That makes
1: sense. Very good. All right. Well, that, sir, is my news. Okie doke. Well, I have two pieces of news here. First up, via the HollywoodReporter.com, it was published on March 12th, Star Trek Dr. Seuss mashup deemed copyright fair use by Judge. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, you have heard me correct. Star Trek Dr. Seuss mashup deemed copyright fair use by Judge. And it says this, in a culturally adventuresome legal dispute, Comic Mix has successfully defended its mashup of Star Trek and Dr. Seuss against a lawsuit brought by Dr. Seuss Enterprises. Almost a year ago, Comic Mix beat back trademark claims over a crowdfunded book project titled Oh, The Places You'll Boldly Go. In that decision, the judge referenced a 1986 Federico Fellini film and the Fox hip-hop drama Empire before coming to the conclusion that the work in controversy wasn't explicitly misleading about its association with the company that owns Dr. Seuss rights. Now comes the follow-up summary judgment ruling on the copyright end with U.S. District Judge Janice Sammartino Invoking a hot dispute over the use of computer code, the promotional poster to Naked Gun, 33 and a third, the final insult, and viral videos. Ultimately, the judge is convinced that, oh, the places you'll boldly go, makes fair use of of Dr. Seuss's, oh, the places you'll go. In an attempt to foreclose a successful fair use defense, Dr. Seuss Enterprises pointed to the Federal Circuit's 2018 decision in Oracle America Inc. versus Google. That case deals with copyrighted Java API code and whether Google infringes when it makes its own version intended to allow software programs to communicate with each other. It's a high-stakes battle that has a good shot of being taken up by the Supreme Court." When it comes to the purpose and character of Boldly, Dr. Seuss analogizes the book to what Google did with Java. Quote, the court does not find Oracle persuasive. End quote, responds the judge, addressing what she sees as the key distinction. Quote, in Oracle, the defendants copied the 37 SE API packages wholesale, while in Boldly, the copied elements are always interspersed with original writing and illustrations that transform Go's pages into repurposed Star Trek-centric ones. End all quotes there. If you want to check it out, again, that was via the HollywoodReporter.com. Star Trek Dr. Seuss mashup deemed copyright fair use by Judge. And there is a lot more to that article. And it was written by Eric Gardner. And my final piece of news via indiewire.com Paramount gears up for Ang Lee's Gemini Man in 120 frames per second, even after Billy Lynn Failure, written by Zach Scharf, and it says this. Billy Lynn's long halftime walk may have been a box office bomb and a noble failure in experimenting with shooting at 120 frames per second, but that isn't stopping Paramount Pictures from giving director Ang Lee a second chance at using the risky format. As IndieWire reported back in April 2018, Lee's upcoming science fiction thriller Gemini Man will be shot in 3D at 120 frames per second and 4K resolution. Billy Lynn was the first film ever shot at 120 frames per second, following Peter Jackson's 40 frames per second experiment on The Hobbit and Unexpected Journey. The filmmaking standard is 24 frames per second. As reported by the playlist, Paramount has sent out a letter to theater chain exhibitors ahead of CinemaCon asking them to test their equipment to see if they will be able to screen Gemini Man in its intended 120 frames per second 4K 3D format. The letter provides specific instructions on how to conduct a high frame rate test and calls 120 frames per second 4K 3D, the, quote, most pristine and immersive format, end quote, for showing the film. The movie will also be available to screen in 60 frames per second. Quote, we want to do everything possible to make projecting the high frame rate version of Gemini Man a turnkey experience for you and provide audiences with the latest technological advancement in cinema, end quote. The letter reads... Gemini Man stars Will Smith as an aging assassin who must avoid being killed by a younger clone of himself. The supporting cast includes Clive Owen, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, and Benedict Wong. Smith is playing both the assassin and the young clone. The film's VFX supervisor Bill Wessendorfer previously told IndieWire that motion capture technology was used for Smith to play his younger self. And his quote in the article goes on from there. Again, that was IndieWired.com. Paramount gears up for Ang Lee's Gemini Man in 120 frames per second, even after Billy Lynn failure, written by Zach Scharf. Matthew, what do you think about this? Good, bad, why even?
0: Yeah, mine's why even. I, I, well, what is it? uh, Mean Girls, right? Mean Girls, the Lindsay Lohan movie from back in the day? Sure, yeah. You know, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. I feel like someone needs to sit down with Ang Lee and say, stop trying to make 120 frames per second happen. It's not going to happen.
1: I'm looking forward to it, though. I mean, I think he should have started with a sci-fi action movie opposed to a drama about No,
0: I think he did it. I think he did the drama thing because um, people would get motion sick. At 120 frames per second, it's just going to look too real to the eye. I don't. I think it will literally trick people's brains, and they won't be able to separate what they're watching from where they're at, and it'll give people motion sickness. And so, it's easier to get people into the groove if it's just you know someone walking down the street or standing on a stage at a football stadium, than to have a big sci-fi thing. So. I mean, I get what he's doing. I just, I don't know. Well, I guess we'll see if it works. It it did not work last time. Maybe it'll find better life in this one. But I am not... I am not hopeful. That's that's just where I land on it, sir. I'm sorry. I know you're excited, and I don't want to damper your excitement.
1: I mean, I don't care. I mean, I think advancing the movie-going experience in such a way with... Uh, new cameras, new frame rates, playing around with that stuff is important because with every single failed angry 120 frames per second attempt, maybe that will inspire another storyteller or visionary storyteller to go out and maybe utilize it in a different way. Maybe a short film or maybe... At different points throughout the film, you utilize 120 frames per second. I don't don't know. I'm looking forward to seeing how this turns out. And it sounds like even Paramount is willing to bank a lot on this film. So it's got to be at least interesting. No execs have shot themselves yet while watching the movie. So maybe that says something.
0: (laughs) That is a promising sign. I suppose that that is true. And then on your first article there. I'm I'm glad. You know what? I I think that it's nice that someone has finally been able to stand up and get some uh, a little fair use pushback. We we've gone just completely overboard in the neighborhood of the fair use thing and people need to be able to take advantage proper advantage of fair use and it seems like it's getting harder and harder to do so. So yay! I'm glad they pushed back. Sure, especially seem, with and seemed to have won.
1: Yeah, and especially when it, concerning a property so popular as Doctor Seuss. Absolutely. All right. Well, then that
0: brings us to the end of the news segment. Uh, next week, we will most likely have news again <laughs> because we may or may not have talked about it. <laughs> And we've got a big hole on the schedule where it says segment two, blank. So we're just going to go with news for now. But it might be something else. We never know. All right. And without further ado, I guess that brings us to creme de la crap.
1: Hi. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. Appetit.
0: Yeah. I never can remember if we have something for that.
1: I edit the show <laughs> and I can't either.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, in this edition of Creme de la Crap, we're moving on into the fifth movie in the Bullets, Bombs, and Babes series by Andy Sedaris called Guns from 1990. Eric Estrada is the Jack of Diamonds A gun-smuggling kingpin Her weapon of choice A rocket launcher
1: What's going on?
0: Tomorrow, we raise the stakes When the Jack of Diamonds murders her father And kidnaps her mother in Las Vegas Donna unleashes a sextet of gorgeous gunslinging playmates. He has a full house, but she's got an ace up her sleeve. It's Eric Estrada with a license to kill. And Donna Spear with a license to thrill. Guns. An Andy Sedaris film. That's right. Now, you may, may not have recognized that voice right off, but you probably heard Eric Estrada. That's right, folks. We have, I, I'm almost convinced that we have finally reached the pinnacle of Andy Sedaris. Like, people were really and truly starting to take Andy Sedaris' films seriously, where he was able to get a relatively big name at the time, like Eric Estrada, to be the bad guy. Uh, we we've got a a young Danny Trejo on the screen, and then of course we have the usual Donna Spear, uh, Cynthia Brimhall, all the wonderful people. Um, sadly we 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 lose we lose one of our longtime people. Poor Rocky Lisa London as Rocky. We finally lose one of our longtime characters from the franchise. And chests. <laughs> yes, and chests. Uh, yeah, so what we have here is a South American international crime lord is basically trying to smuggle guns from China through Hawaii and at the same time complete some weird vendetta against poor Donna and her family. And they have to go between Hawaii and Las Vegas to solve this international mystery that takes place in only the United States. (laughs) Okay, so this movie from the get-go is definitely trying to step it up. The production values are the best yet. The cinematography for Andy Sedaris is literally on point. Howard Wexler is the cinematographer for this film. Uh, and it is truly on point. Again, there, he, he's managed to kind of pull a pretty well-known name for the day. I mean, he was, he would still be, I think, considered B-list, uh, at this time. But still, very, you know, top-end B-list tier. Getting Eric Estrada, that is. So, we got that. There's a lot less nudity. The love scenes are few, far between, and when they are there, they're They're short and very tastefully done, I guess you could say, as far as Andy Sedaris can make something tastefully done. I don't know how exactly you're supposed to make love on a silhouette on a motorcycle in the desert, but hey, if he hadn't started off filming the whole thing, if he had just taken the shot as the silhouette, it probably would have looked pretty cool.
1: How serious were your problems in Vegas? Damn
0: serious. I was a 17-year-old orphan when I met a guy who wanted to take care of me. He worked directly for a mob leader, and when he began to question his boss's tactics, I found him in the trunk of his car with his eyes shut out. I had nothing to lose, so I went to the DA's office to testify. Donna's mother handled the case. Catherine and I became pretty close. And then when it was all over, it was her idea to team me up with Donna.
1: Fate put that brunette in that same green dress. Nicole, there's a reason why your life was spared.
0: Yeah. Guess I better watch my ass, huh?
1: I can help with that.
0: And again, he still hasn't quite learned the idea of pacing. Uh, as I was talking with Tim about the pre-show, he still does things where they land, like, the plane will land, they get out of the plane, they kick their gear off of the plane, they, they, they get themselves off the plane one by one by one, and then get their gear off of the plane, and then go to the cargo hold of the plane, and open the cargo hold, and take the big red box out of the plane, and carry the whole big red box over to the van. You don't need all of that. You just don't need it. The acting is absolutely terrible for the most part. Even Eric Estrada has some trouble delivering his lines. I don't know if there were rewrites like right there on the set. And so he didn't have time to actually like rehearse them or something. No, he, he's but slowly, he's-
1: slowly sinking in that he made a big mistake taking, <laughs> <laughs> taking that role.
0: I guess that's true. And and so the thing with this movie is is that it is there's still tons to laugh at. Uh, and honestly, I I I I feel like this one is actually better than Picasso Trigger. Not as good in terms of creme de la crap status as Savage Beach clearly, but um I think this is a better, stronger film than Picasso Trigger, and I realize we kind of got a little bit out of order, but we're back in order now. In terms of slickness, production value, it it's really well made, so it makes the bad acting that much more glaring, it makes the pacing that much more glaring, but it also makes it... It also makes the things that are funny and the stupid stuff that much better because you're not laughing at bad production anymore. You're laughing at truly terrible acting or you're la- you're laughing at truly terrible storytelling or dialogue. And so the things stand out and they're kind of easier to remember. Like one of the characters in the film, Donna's friend Nicole, she glanced something when she was about right before they discover that poor rocky's been killed uh and it's it's a very clear setup again because it's a well shot setup and and then they come back to it and then she it's it's clear she needs to recall the information and so instead of just being like wait a minute those guys that i saw you know whatever And no, she literally stops, stock still, lifts her hand, the backside, so that her fingernails touch her forehead like she's a southern belle about to faint. I do declare. And stops there and looks like she's about to have an ESP moment. And then it freezes the frame and then it cuts back to what she saw. And then comes back and she goes, I saw those men those they came from the women's bathroom and you're just like oh my god seriously this is how we're doing this now
1: did you see two women come through here just a couple guys a few minutes ago come on donna let's go
0: We've got the world's best, worst magician.
1: Is he a magician? Is he an interrogator? Is he a magician? Is he an <laughs> interrogator? I, I don't know. I don't know.
0: He's a, he's a magic interrogator. <laughs> okay. Showtime. Ooh. Ooh. Look at this. Now you see it, now you don't. Ta-da! That's a clear sign of poor social intercourse. All right, now, do we know how to play 20 questions? I ask 20 questions, you give me 20 answers. All right, question number one. Did you hear about that messy hit in Hawaii yesterday? You need a sack of shit, fat man. Now, are you ready for question number two? Do you know anything about that neato little plane in the desert with the big nasty gun?
1: Nothing I'm going to tell you about.
0: Wrong answer. We don't know nothing, man. You have to know something or else you're going to lose the game.
1: Who the hell is this guy? He's not a cop.
0: Again, it is... Absolutely priceless. Uh, the, the blowjob line was really good. I like that.
1: Which one was that?
0: That's the one when the for whatever reason, one of the operatives is a, is a, uh, oil wrestler, women's oil wrestling. And she's, and so they're cleaning up afterwards. And she's like, the girl's like, Oh, my, my boyfriend doesn't want me to do, uh, oil wrest do wrestling anymore. And she's like, Why not? And he's like, Oh, because it's, uh it's it's uncouth or unbecoming or something like that. And it's like, Well, he doesn't say that when you're giving him a blowjob, does he? <laughs> it's just, you know, funny. And especially because then they pan over and I guess her boyfriend is standing right there on the other side of the wall. So yeah, it was, you know, just stupid stuff. And, like and that. you're
1: talking about oil mania with Kyler yes. Kim and Hug Huggins. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My boyfriend doesn't want me to oil wrestle anymore. Why is that hugs? He doesn't think it's dignified. <laughs> Neither is a blowjob does he complain about that.
1: Kyler Kim. Uh, Ky, yeah, Kyler Kim in Hug Huggins. Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah, Christ. and how
0: about that? How about that putting on the lips, right? Putting on the lips of uh, Edie Stark, played by Cynthia Brim Brimhall. <laughs> She was the girl with the cabaret act who's just constantly lip syncing songs to
1: guns over and over again. The title song (laughs) guns are bad. Yeah, you know, look at my boobs and look at my legs and guns, guns, guns. Jesus.
0: Yeah, it truly is terrible. I mean,
1: we all want to go to a cabaret show in Las Vegas and listen to somebody talk about how unsafe owning a gun could be.
0: Uh, and they brought, oh, they brought, uh, George Chung back though. He, cause he, he's the, uh, Chinese guy that, uh, Juan, played by Eric Estrada, that Juan meets on the island and then they pretend fight for like five seconds. And he was in Savage Beach. And I'm pretty sure he was in Picasso Trigger too. I'm not 100% on that one though, but. It's just fun at this point, just to watch all of the people from the uh, from the universe get together. Uh, I do. I did also like early on in the film the girls fly off, and they reused the shot from Malibu Express where they landed on the golf course.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: And, except it was the takeoff from the golf course. Yeah, so I was that was fun. I thought I was like, wow, they reused that shot. That was great.
1: I was noticing some Andy Sedaris deja vu which I don't know if I should be happy about or cry. Oh. I did think the movie began promising, though. I mean, you had the cladly dressed Vegas lounge singer, and and she was singing the title of the movie, in case you forgot what movie you were going to see. Uh, (laughs) This happens a couple times throughout the movie. But once Eric Estrada appeared... On the screen, once he made his grand entrance, I think he has like the first spoken line in the film, I started praying, praying that he will not be featured in not only sex scenes, that we will not see his butt. Because the last thing I wanted to see before going bed a few nights ago was an Eric Estrada softcore sex scene
0: at least at least you didn't get you didn't have to see his butt that is true there's
1: still the one scene though and it's awkward as hell man isn't it though
0: it's like oh my God It's
1: thirty minutes into the movie
0: I would not have made such a sloppy
1: mistake your assets are quite apparent to me, my love. Then let me kill for you. time my sweet in time. And then he like lays down on the bed and he just like unbuttons <laughs> his shirt and the lady does not know what to do.
0: <laughs> I like how she strikes the cabaret pose and like puts her heel up on the bed and <laughs> stands there like she's like one leg on the ground, one leg on the bed. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> Some like artistic dance pose or something. I don't even know. And, Dana- and and then and then go ahead. Sorry. Oh
1: no 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 no. Go for it.
0: Oh, I just wanted to say, and and I loved how how Eric Estrada seemed to really struggle with getting the clothes off of the girl because he like goes for the scarf and it's tangled in her hair, and then he just goes for the hair and <laughs> it's like it's just nothing's working. It was yeah, it was definitely good. I like that a lot.
1: In Danny Trejo, was this, I'm guessing this is sometime after prison, right? So when he needed money after prison, he took on an Indy Sardaris flick, which I guess you have to start somewhere.
0: Danny Trejo started in 1985 um, in Runaway Train, and he had been in prison prior to that, but not after.
1: A big thing that made me... Well, there were multiple instances where I just slapped my forehead, but one of the biggest slaps, one of the biggest whammies I gave my forehead was during the whole murder scene with the two guys, the two bad guys. They have to go to this restaurant to uh, shoot this person in the head. She's in the dress shop now. Brunette, green dress, yellow lay. This is for you to leave upon the remains. Mr. Degas, I am a flair for this kind of work. I like to uh, express my imagination. Transistor explosives are our specialty, but you'll have a very unique result. It can serve as an alert as well as accomplish your goal. Gentlemen, enough. Just use a cerebral approach. How's that? Shoot her in the head. They go into the bathroom, and they brought women's clothing, and so they put on... Uh, women's clothing as their disguise and i only thought that was their disguise i thought nothing else was because i mean the movie's already weird these characters are already weird and andy sedaris has a really weird dumb sense of humor and they are dressed as women very 80s looking women they go into the restaurant they shoot two or three people and they book it out of there nobody is following them Nobody cares to see where they are going. It's because nobody could follow the plan, Tim.
0: T- you know, uh, Degas' amazing plan of, okay, we're going to sit here in the room together, and then we're going to fly on a plane to Hawaii, and then we're going to switch, and I'm going to get into a different plane, and you're going to get into a helicopter, and then we're going to land, and I'm going to get you the information of the target, but we're not going to see each other until after you've killed the target back in Las Vegas. Los- Vegas. and what's the first thing they do get together at the fucking hotel <laughs> he's like oh yeah it's the chick in the green dress wearing the lay
1: <laughs> it's like what the fuck is up with your plan i don't think anybody could follow it and who would know to follow them into the local bathroom even if they stepped outside they could have seen the bathroom <laughs> where these two guys went in to change back out of their women's clothing to then escape when they could have just It just didn't make any sense. But I think what made me slap my head the hardest was when somebody was like, oh yeah, there are a couple of she-males. But why would they want me killed? And you in Vegas when I'm the one who testified there? And how the hell did they get a hold of this kind of artillery? And who are they? That's what we're here to find out.
0: We get a lot of international high rollers at the club. I can scope out the new faces and the ones who are connected. I'll check the computer data file reports to see what I come up with. Those she-males, the cross-dressers? Think they're from around here? Snake tattoo, right hand? Correct. I'll rouse the drag bars. If they're around, someone will get wind of it.
1: I thought it was just a joke that they were just being idiots, you know, calling the two murderers dressed up as women, you know, she-males. But then it dawned on me, are are the two guys actually she-males? For the See, rest- that's what,
0: that's what threw me for a loop, too, because they refer to them as the shemales, and at first, when they changed, I thought that that was like their gimmick, right? They dressed up as women yeah, just to throw off people, yeah, as yeah, their disguise. But then they bring up the whole, uh, cross-dressing bar, and they're, they're actually at the bar. So now I'm
1: like, Trusting well, which is it? Disguises. Are they transvestites?
0: <laughs> or are they, uh, or are they just, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird movie, dude.
1: And really the movie hits all the Annie Sedaris highlights where they're in a Cessna and you can look in their the reflection of their glasses and it's <laughs> glaringly obvious they're still on ground. You can see the grass, you can see the runway and the in the aviators. Yeah, great Haya my ass quotes. Haya Haya my ass.
0: I definitely like I, – what I want to get is I want to get that rocket launcher tech because that is the only rocket launcher I've ever seen that can take out a helicopter, a building, a motorcycle, but also be targeted and only take out one human being. All four shots, just one human being. So if you think back to Malibu Express and Hard Ticket to Hawaii, they use that same – rocket launcher and it does all these different things and it's constantly blowing up and they only use like one rocket at a time. But in this one she uses all four rockets and it only and it only blows up just Eric Estrada. Which this technology is amazing. I must have one of these rocket launchers.
1: Cuz you too want to blow up Eric Estrada?
0: Not necessarily Eric Estrada. I just want to be able to, you know, choose my prey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and what did you think about the What did you think about the attorney general (laughs) that lady, like she has to be like the same age as Donna Spear, but she's supposed to be her mom. That was awesome.
1: (laughs) And that is why I consider guns creme de la crap. It's not an awful movie. It's a very entertaining movie to watch. Significantly easier to watch than any of the Andy Sedaris flicks. I thoroughly enjoyed it. He attempted to make something bigger and better than what he's made before and it's it failed miserably because he tried <laughs> and it still didn't work. So I do consider Guns from 1990 creme de la crepe.
0: Well, I, on the other hand, do not. Mainly because while I concede that there are lots of funny parts and there's lots of nonsensical stuff to talk about, Um, and that it does fall into that category of crap. It's also, at this point, it's too well made to laugh at, to laugh at the bad acting, to laugh at the bad writing, to laugh at the story, as well as the production, which just amplifies all that. Now, you're just watching a bad movie that happens to be entertaining. So, I can't give it creme de la crap, but I do agree, Tim, uh, that there's lot that it's still worth watching. Um, it's a great, bad movie, but not quite creme de la crap for me. So awesome. Alright, well that brings us to the end of our special segment for this week, uh, for the movie. Next week's movies are going to be Us and the Beach Bum. And without further ado, I believe it's now time for the spiel. Spiel on Oh Stewardus. I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him.
1: All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine.
0: Just hang loose blood. She's gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama. My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Got me some slack, Jack. Get it's a cutting game, K- Charlie K- We say, we say, we say be sure, sure it wrong, it. Jump jump to visit you. don't want to help. Trump
1: don't get the say help. Say can't hang. Say seven up. Jive ass dude don't got no brains in
0: here. <music> All right. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Coriz of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash cries of Soul. As for us, we're of course the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me. This is Matt on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can of course come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and our favorite us on Stitcher Radio as well as track us down to the old SoundCloud and other podcast directories. If you'd like to support the show, we'd love to have you do that. Head on over to Patreon.com and check us out over there. And until. Till next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Eric Estrada, I get to say this. I like working with an actor who doesn't do the one upsmanship,
1: one who has no trick and gives a true, honest performance. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, right, monsieur.